Welcome to the Speak As Well As You Think podcast brought to you by Vautier Communications. I'm your host, Jenny Rurick. The goal of this show is to uncover communication strategies and behaviors you can use to improve the way you show up and perform at work. I'll sit down with communication experts and professionals across different fields to uncover what effective communication looks like in action so you can apply to your own career. If you'd like a written summary of each episode, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter by visiting vautiercommunications.com. That's V-A-U-T-I-E-R communications.com. Check out the show notes for a link. Welcome back. Today, I am joined again by John Vautier, Vice President of Vautier Communications. John, thanks for being here. Thanks, Jenny. I'm excited to be on again. Same here. And we have a fun topic. We're going to be talking about how to set up, lead, facilitate effective meetings. Often meetings get a bad rap. My first question to you is, what are some of the reasons you believe meetings are often frowned upon? Yeah, I mean, there's a abundance of reasons that it comes about, but I hear too often it's, does this meeting need to happen? And I think the first question you've got to ask is around that necessity aspect. Could this be a communication piece or an interaction that takes place over email, by phone, as a side conversation that might happen if those of us who are back in person and doing talks and everything else on site, can this be something where I pop over to Jenny's cube or Jenny's office and say, hey, I wanted to touch base on something, but I didn't have to schedule a 30 minute meeting for it. And I think a lot of people feel as though, hey, John, my meetings suck because I don't really know when a meeting should actually be a meeting. Yeah. Let's stay there for a second before you list any others. You're right. And I most would agree with that that is true, that we find meetings ineffective when we get in there and we now believe that they could have been a phone call or an email or whatnot. Similar to sometimes you read a book and you think, I read this 300 page book and it could have been a single article. Yeah. So let's take it a step further. How would someone who's on the end of organizing that meeting, what filters can they use to know whether or not a meeting is warranted? Sure. So I think the first one is, do you want in the moment feedback from the people or participants who are going to be attending the meeting? Because if it's a one-way communication and you're not expecting any discussion, you're not asking questions that could get answered, in my view, that's something that is probably best done is either a recorded, like you do a pre-recording, and then you distribute that to your participants. And you say, hey, I've got an update, listen to this for 15 minutes. That may not need to be a meeting because you're not getting the audience engaged or participated in any way. The other thing I would ask is in terms of who is attending, what are you looking for them to do in attendance? Because if you're just naming people who you feel like, hey, this, should, this person should be included, this person's senior, they should be included, but you don't know what role they're playing in the meeting, you've got to ask yourself, is this a valuable use of time? So those, I think, are two key criteria that should help you determine and filter through, is this something that could be done successfully as a meeting, or is this something that I could look for another asynchronous option for communicating? That's right. And I, one more that I might add to the list is about urgency. Sometimes yeah. if I know that my team is dispersed and that I'm not going to get a response to a pre-recording or even an email, and it is something I want people to be fully present to when I do deliver the information that that might warrant a meeting as well. 
Great. What are some of the other reasons we give, we look or frown upon meetings other than lack of agenda or what you had other, you also mentioned purpose. Yeah, I think timing is a huge one. And in today's world that is both remote, virtual, and we're starting to fold back in more and more on site or in person, people are realizing their schedules are getting more and more fill, built. And so with that said, you've got to ask yourself, is this going to look like time well spent on somebody's calendar if I plug this in? Because if it doesn't, you're already starting at a notch below where you'd like to. And the audience or your participants are coming in, rolling their eyes or grumbling, thinking, I know I don't have time for this on my calendar for whatever reason I'm supposed to be here. I may not know what this meeting is about. I may not know why it's important that I'm here. And you're, you're fighting an uphill battle at that point because now you haven't really given a reason for the audience to buy into attending. Yeah, that reminds me of Parkinson's law, which is that work expands to the time given to it. And right. often when we do schedule meetings, we tend to default to, 30 minutes or 60 minutes. Yep. Coaching that I would offer people is instead think about realistically how much time do you want to dedicate or is necessary for each agenda item and what what does that add up to? If that adds up to 35 minutes, I'm going to challenge myself to schedule a 35 minute meeting and not round it up to 60 minutes because exactly. I know if I schedule 60 minutes, we're going to be together. <laughs> For yeah. 60 minutes. Yeah. I coach people all the time. Embrace the aspect of not needing to stick to a 30 or a 60. I know that that's common, right? So most people default to it and they think, okay, 30 minutes, that's a nice even number or 60 minutes. That's a nice even number. If I've got a 15 minute update and five minutes worth of you and I discussing, I'm going to embrace scheduling 20 minutes because someone is far more likely to look at that and say, Hey, this should be quick and easy. And I see the agenda listed here. I'm ready to go. But if you give yourself a 10 pound bag of potatoes and you've only got five pounds worth of potatoes, you're going to figure out something else to put in that bag. Yeah, that's right. A good analogy. All right. The, the big takeaway for me out of what we just discussed is really having a defined purpose, not only for you, if you're the one leading or facilitating the meeting, but that's also what drives engagement for people attending the meeting is knowing why are we together why exactly can you be more detailed about why having a defined purpose is so important? Yeah. Two questions that every participant is going to ask themselves when they come to the meeting is what is this about and why am I here? What's my role in this, in this setup? And so if you can help answer those two questions at the early onset in an agenda or let people know in that meeting invite or that email that you send pre-meeting, here's why we're, why we're meeting. Here's the topic. And then here's why I'm having you included. But this allows people to realize, okay, I'm playing a role in this conversation or this interaction, or I'm here for a reason. I think too often people get, get tied into inviting everybody. And when you invite everybody, you're all of a sudden realizing, wait a second, half this audience doesn't need to be here. Or I know I'm got, I've got more bodies. Now I'm going to be less efficient because I've got more opportunities for people to take us off task, ask questions because they may be wondering, I'm not really sure why I'm here, so I need to get caught up. And all of a sudden, the efficiency gets tanked because of you've got these extra bodies that you feel more isn't always better. And you want to figure out who am I inviting for the right reasons, and I'm going to cap it at that. That's right. And I also think we make an assumption that when people come to a meeting, they know why they're there. I would challenge anyone to take 
a couple of seconds at the start of the meeting to remind each person what their role in that meeting is, even Mm -hmm. if they're there simply to take notes or take the information they get and pass it back along to their team, stating that out loud will re-engage anyone who might be on the fence about why they're there. Yeah. Having a defined purpose also, if you're the meeting leader, that's what's going to help you determine how to name your meeting. It's going to tell you when and where to host the meeting, how long the meeting should be, who to invite, who not to invite. We talked about role assignments and then also what to include in the agenda. So really the purpose and those two questions you offered are the gold standard for what we as meeting organizers need to be thinking about before we meet. Yeah. And I think a great green light, sorry to interrupt, a a great green light for every person who's looking to host a successful meeting, they themselves should be be able to answer those two questions. What is this about and why are people going to attend? Because if they don't, that goes back to our first point on realizing, hey, wait a second, this probably isn't a meeting that needs to happen right now, or I've got to relook through what's my purpose and what's the plan of attack here so I have a goal and an outcome in mind. Yeah. And we're not only doing this for our participants, we're also doing this because when we are leading, organizing, leading meetings, that's our professional reputation as well. That's a touch point that people have of us. And if I become someone who's known as leading ineffective or unnecessary meetings, that in the long run is not going to get me where I need to be going. No, it doesn't improve your reputation. No. All right. Let's say we're in a meeting now and there's a purpose to the meeting. We know why we're there. If I'm leading a meeting, do you have a a simple framework that you would say works most of the time for an effective way for me to open that meeting once I've got everyone there? Yeah. Once everyone is there, I think you want to be cordial, right? So come across genuine, come across sincere, thank people for attending. But then once the pleasantries are done, you want to get into, here's what we're here to talk about today so that you can define your goal. And then you want to start to say, here are the objectives. And in most cases, we just talked about the agenda that can be a slide or a template that you can utilize so that people can visually see it. And they say, okay, here's where we are on the first agenda item. Here's who needs to do what. And then basically you're sticking to that schedule. You're sticking to that plan. As the meeting leader, you're the guide to that experience being a success. But if you let things sidetrack or you let the audience or your participants begin to derail time, all of a sudden, again, you lose track and people leave that meeting thinking, John didn't do an effective job of managing or it wasn't time well spent. Yeah. So we're going to tell them, here's why you're here. Here's what we're aiming to accomplish in our time together. And here's how we're going to spend our time. I would add one third element, and that is to tell people how to participate. Yes. Do you, are you going to be managing who's talking when? Do you want people to interject and make comments and ask questions when they want? Have you designated a certain time in the meeting when people can comment or ask questions? When we are at the mercy of someone who has organized our time for us, we want to be led. We want to be told how we are supposed to participate because if we're not told, often then we all participate in different ways and that's when chaos can ensue in meetings. Yeah, and I'll piggyback off that point, Jenny. I think it's important for the meeting leader, whoever that might be, to make sure that they recommend that this is a safe space. 
And the reason I bring this part up is too often I've been in meetings where there's only one or two individuals, if there's a group of five or 10, who hijack the talking. They're the only ones that ever interject. They're the only ones that ever speak. And then some of those quieter folks who might have great ideas or great input, but for whatever reason, they don't feel like it's a safe enough space for them to be involved or engaged. Those types of conversations don't happen. And it's important that the leader makes that obvious at the front end. I want to make sure we include everybody today, or I want to make sure you feel confident in your voice being heard. And that way it gives the quieter people an opportunity to speak up and get their voice heard. Yeah. One mindset shift that I've always found helpful since hearing it, and I can't remember where I heard it, is to remember that you want to put yourself in a position where you talk last. Because if you talk last, that means that you have had the benefit of hearing everybody else's opinions and thoughts and comments prior to informing your own. And if that's the case, then I will now have, when I do choose to speak, the most informed perspective. Whereas if I had gone first, I wouldn't have had the benefit of hearing everybody else go first or before yeah, me. I like that. Yep. And the other thing I want to touch on is the decision-making process, because when we have meetings, in some cases, audience members or participants aren't aware on how decisions will get made. And so I think it's the responsibility of the meeting leader to let them know we're going to do this by voting. We're going to make decisions on a vote. We're going to make decisions by consensus. We're going to make decisions once everybody has agreed this works well. And then from there, the expectation is set. And the participants realize, okay, this is how decisions will get made. Once you clarify how that decision-making process will exist, then you just stick to that. And you basically say, here's the outcome of our decision, and you make it very crystal clear. Yeah, that's important. And then also, there are some cases when there's one person who's going to make the decision, but we still want our decisions to be informed. And in that case, I might say something like, ultimately, John is going to make the decision on this. Our role here is to give John all the information and perspectives we have so that he can make the best decision on how we move forward. Beautiful. I love that. Great. All right. Next, what are some strategies you would coach people to use to engage people during meetings? Sometimes we might be in a meeting, and I know you and I sometimes experience this during trainings. People will be on their phones, they will be on their laptops, they'll have side conversations. And although a lot of those we can sometimes ignore because they're quick little interruptions, there are times when they distract everyone else in the meeting. And I'll give a quick example from the book Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. In that book, he talks about an experiment that was run, and I'm forgetting the name of the person who ran the experiment. What they did is they had a group of, I think, 30 or 40 people who were charged with meeting to come up with a marketing plan. The experiment was to interject a guy named Nick, and Nick was an actor, and Nick played the role of someone who is disruptive to meetings. He was either a slacker, or he was aggressive, or he acted tired. And the result of the experiment was that any group that had Nick in it they were 30% less effective in the meeting than the groups that didn't have this person in it. Sure. The point is that even in a large group, one person who is disengaged can negatively impact the entire group. So what are things that you would you do to engage people? 
Yeah. First thing would be set expectations. And I think when we think about engagement, it's making sure people can put their laptops away, put their phones off to the side. It's important that you set that expectation on the front end. In this way, there aren't any surprises. Everyone in the meeting or the participants realize this is how time is going to be spent. Then from there, we've always coached it. Ask open-ended questions. Too often, I hear people who lead a meeting and say, Jenny, do you agree with that idea? Jenny is likely to say yes or no and disengage again. <laughs> She's not likely to give much more from there. So rather, I might frame it as, Jenny, what can you share in your viewpoint about that idea? And I open-end that question to give the participant or the attendee an opportunity to decide where they want to go with it. But the question came up, I did a coaching earlier this week, and someone asked the same thing. They said, John, I'm doing a lot of these persuasive or influential type of meetings, but I'm not getting much back from my participants or from my audience. And I told them, make a small adjustment or a small course correction in how you ask for audience participation or audience, audience engagement. If you're asking closed-ended questions, you're likely to get closed-ended responses. So utilize those who, what, where, why, when, how types of questions to allow you to get more out of your participants or attendees. Yeah, that's so important. I love that approach. I would also include that not everyone is comfortable sharing verbally. And mm -hmm. the joy of our virtual world for many of us is that there are multiple ways people can participate. So as someone leading or facilitating a meeting, you could also pose a question to the group and say, before anyone contributes verbally, I want you to put in the chat box what your thoughts on this are. And then as a group, now you have a forearm, forum that we see all perspectives and viewpoints. And as the one facilitating, I can now pick and choose certain people to elaborate on what they wrote. And that will invite people who might not have been more forthcoming verbally to participate in that way. Yeah. All right. Now we've talked about how to organize the meeting. We've talked about the importance of having a defined purpose, how you can open a meeting and engage. But during the meeting, you may also be playing the role of facilitator, meaning you're guiding those in the meeting through the process, which is typically the agenda. What are three facilitation skills those of us that run meetings need to have in order for our meetings to be effective? Sure. So I think one is managing time well. This means starting the meeting on time and making sure you end the meeting on time. I'm okay with giving people a minute or two of buffer if I realize I've got seven of my 10 attendees on a meeting or in a meeting, but two or three minutes is that cap and that's the buffer. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're punishing the punctual and you're, not, you're starting off on the wrong foot by not making use of people's time well. With that time management priority in mind, you have to figure out based on the agenda, how can I keep things crisp? That might mean setting a phone timer. And I'm usually okay with that as well. As long as it's not a distraction and you're not on your phone the entire time, if you, the lead, or you've got someone who's managing the meeting notes, has a timer or a stopwatch or something, that keeps the parameter strict. And you say, hey, we're approaching 10 minutes on this piece before we need to move on to the next discussion item. But that keeps the meetings from all of a sudden moving from 60 minutes to 75 minutes, which can happen like that if you don't manage the agenda items well. And then from a, a third, right? So we talked about managing time, managing the people who are helping manage the time, and then trying to observe or manage the participant level participation levels of your audience. 
if there are times when you want audience engagement, engagement, excuse me, to increase, you need to give the floor to people. But saying, does anyone have any ideas on this topic? No, okay, we're gonna move on. All of that was said in about 10 seconds and no one is going to have an opportunity to jump in or interject and share their thoughts if you don't give them the space to do so. Yeah, and these are all things that you would experience if you were in a workshop, a educational workshop. And the reason why we have so many positive experiences in workshops is because they are really well facilitated and there's a lot we can take into business meetings from them. And I think some of the one challenge specifically that I know I've had people comment on is that someone is commandeering the meeting and you touched on people management as a facilitation skill. If let's say you, John, are in my meeting and you've been holding the floor for a long time as the one facilitating the meeting, I have a responsibility for the group to interject and get you to figure out how to close your message so other people can participate. And right. this can be daunting. It, it, I will have to interrupt you, which can be really uncomfortable. And often what we coach people to do is acknowledge your interruption. John, I need to interrupt you for a moment. I'm sorry. We have about 10 minutes left in this meeting and you've shared a lot of important things, but I do want to make sure we get to hear from the others in the room. Can you wrap, wrap up your thought and then we can move on to Stacy? It's a polite way to do it. Yes, it can be uncomfortable, but it's necessary and it demonstrates respect for the rest of the people that are there in the meeting who want to participate. Yeah, and it helps you as the meeting chair, if you will, exude confidence. You've got the confidence to step in and make sure that everyone else has an opportunity. And this goes back to my point about creating that safe space. If you just let one person hijack the entire talk, those other attendees will leave that meeting and think, I don't know why I was there. I never got a chance to say anything or my input was never really asked about, right? I never got that opportunity to jump in and say something. Bill, whoever Bill may have been, was the one that just hijacked the talk and he went on and on and on and didn't give everyone, anyone else any space to say anything. Yeah. All right. Now let's say we're getting to the end of a meeting as the one leading or facilitating I like to say that cl the close of a meeting is what sets the narrative because people will leave and often because of something that's known as the recency effect, we tend to remember most what we hear last. Yes. Or how did I hear it the other day? Someone on some social media said your last impression is the lasting impression. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So how you gave a really great framework for opening a meeting how would you recommend someone close a meeting so that it is organized and it leaves a positive narrative? Yeah, I like either doing what's called having a call to action, or in some cases, it's just assigning different actions. But you have to clarify either who needs to do what by when, when this meeting finishes, and that would be the framework for a call to action. Again, who does what by when. Assigning actions really just means discussing who has been allocated certain things to be done. And you can utilize someone who might be taking meeting notes or you've got things on your agenda and you say, okay, Jenny, this was your action item to take going forward. Stacy, this is what you had to take an action on. And then from there, you basically give a timeline. And without the timeline, that's when things get lost in translation. And that's usually when things either get moved off to the side or maybe don't take precedent or priority because you didn't make clear what that time time estimate, time allocation, I'm struggling with the, the phrasing for it, but that, that timing aspect wasn't clear to the audience or the participants. 
And that's when people say, I didn't know when it needed to get done by. So I figured I'd just do it at some point. And at some point could take months. Yeah. And to even be more specific, the difference, there's a big difference between saying, let's check in on this next week versus let's check in on this next Tuesday. Exactly. Or I'd like to have your thoughts in my email or shared with me by Monday at 3 p.m. rather than I'd love to hear your thoughts early next week. Yeah. Everyone's going to have a different definition of early next week. So right. I do think that specificity is the job of the meeting lead or the meeting chair. Yeah. Terrific. Well, this has been some helpful stuff. To close things out, why don't you tell me, based on everything we've talked about, if someone were going to leave this podcast and they have a meeting, what's one thing? because we're big proponents of one thing at a time to make mm -hmm. improvements. What's one thing those listening to this podcast can do in their next meeting to be more effective? The low hanging fruit for me is leading with an agenda. I think that's the easiest thing that everybody can apply right away. All the other elements of course are important, but if there was one key element that I think is above the rest, it's leading with an agenda. Once you have an agenda, two things immediately get answered. What are you there to talk about? Why is it important that attendees are in attendance? And I think as soon as you cover those two things, you will see engagement increase. Boom. Let's leave it there. John, thanks for being here. Love it. Thanks, Jenny. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Speak As Well As You Think podcast brought to you by Vautier Communications. And I am your host, Jenny Rierick. Vautier Communications is in the business of business communications. We coach and train both individuals and groups on how to elevate their presence and increase their impact through the way they communicate, present, and write. If you want to learn more about our in-person or virtual training options, visit our website, www.vautiercommunications.com. That's V-A-U-T-I-E-R communications.com. Thanks for listening.